0: Well, good morning, Merlin. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning, good sir. <laughs> How are you? How are you? As everything? Uh, oh going man, way up my there? neck
1: of my neck of the woods. Man, it's a it's a bleak bleak time of year here Ob- in San Francisco. Oblique. It's oblique. It was <laughs> acute for a while, but now it's not so much. Uh, <laughs> that's a no good, boss. It's a it's a, you know it's a it's a cool, dry, humid, warm. San Francisco morning, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the poop is everywhere. <laughs> oh
0: I saw you. You were tweeting about something that everybody was wearing hipster jeans and, and you, there was something going on in your neighborhood. Oh way. my god! It's what was that? Exactly well, was there's that?
1: a large there's a large uh, Wang like park uh, through the center, uh, I guess horizon of San Francisco called Golden Gate Park, and yeah. they do a thing there every year called Outside Lands. So they bring in bands to the outside lands, and many many hands arrive. And it was uh, the I don't know how they get this number, but 180 thousand people come to this thing over three Whoa. days. Oh now the thing you need to understand about San Francisco, you've heard the name, but you may not be aware that the entirety of San Francisco, including the bleak and boring part that I live in, the entire town is less than 49 square miles. It's it's pretty small. I mean, it's basically it's it's like a super Walmart with a park. And so, <laughs> okay. And so the thing is, the infrastructure for that is just not there. And so there's all of these confused-looking p- people who look like they just got, you know, drop shipped from, you know, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And they all look like they sing quietly in a band with their beard, wow. and I don't mean their girlfriend, <laughs> uh, and and their and their skinny jeans. And so they were overrun in the neighborhood. They're confused. They're wandering around. It was like they just arrived at West Isley and they weren't weren't sure where to get a bubble tea. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Well, I think you're. Just, this is
0: kind of. It sounds like your version of like what happens to Austin during South by Southwest, except right. Are they, oh, are nothing, they local nothing. people, or are they non They're non-local people coming from out of town to go see this.
1: I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I think it's. I mean, it. it, it we just had uh, Jay Z and and Beyonce, which is the. Uh, I think that's the intransitive uh, form of to Beyonce. They were here a couple nights before. <laughs> so there's been a lot of music and people traveling. I think it's mostly people from the Bay Area. And the thing is, it's this, like any old town that has not been ruined by a giant freeway, it's kind of hard to get around. Uh-huh. So there were some stories of people that had like $500 Uber rides to like get across town. They did, you have Uber there, Uber there now, right? Uh, they, well, no.
0: supposedly it's here, but I've used it. I used it when I was up in your. Uh...
1: Oh, no, no. I, I know you're familiar with it, but you know, they do the surge pricing. And there was 5X surge pricing. So that means for those who don't know about this, that means they
0: were charged surge pricing. Means we know you guys need to get around and want to use Uber, so we're going to increase our
1: price for no other reason. And- it's like if it's like if Ayn Rand had a car lending service, <laughs> and uh, and she said said you're weak, you're weak to need a ride, <laughs> right? But, but but supply and demand, and so ergo. Uh we're gonna charge you one X, two X, three X, you know, however much. Like, like New Year's Eve a couple years ago, it was gonna be like two hundred dollars for us to get a ride home. That's how they roll, literally. That's insane. But anyway, uh so there were people all over the place. That's fine. It's nice. I mean, if they wanted to change their Verizon plan in the right place. You wanna start vaping? We got a vaping place you can go to. You know, they shut down that website about hand jobs. I told you about that, right? Um oh the no, you didn't tell me that they closed it down. It's been a real heartbreak for us who like to follow that site. Yeah, yeah. they closed down the handjob site, and uh, people are up in arms, up in hands. It's, How are you uh, going to know what to do? Exactly. Exactly. You know, what you, uh, what, what are you going to do? What can you do? We did a whole after
0: dark about that once, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, they took the whole website. No, it's, it's so creepy. It's so creepy. It's one of those things where, what is it? Like the FBI and Treasury, like you go to the site, and it's like, this, this handjob website now belongs to the Treasury Department. Really? Yeah,
0: it's super weird. What, wait, could they so, not, what was, why would they shut that site down? It seems like that's a free speech kind of thing.
1: Well, here's the thing. You get some open source software, you run a kind of PHP BB type situation, mm-hmm. you get reviews for whether you like the way Mickey does the handies and whether things are going uphill or downhill, 32A droopy, <laughs> right. and, um, which I still don't understand, That sounds <laughs> that sounds really paradoxical to me. It sounds like she would have to not have a rib cage in order for that to be the case, but, you know, I'm not a cultural critic. I'm not a cultural critic. So, in any case, uh, what they said was, though, this is a place, <laughs> in the parlance of our time, sex, sex workers would get contacts. I don't think they're called Johns anymore. I think they're called Jonathans. Uh-huh. But they could meet their Jonathans. Sex workers could meet their Jonathans in a safe and healthy environment and vet them mm-hmm. on the PHP BB board. And uh, then, you know, they could leave reviews and stuff. And that was seen as a, you know, sex worker enterprise, which, you know, unlike all the pot here is, is not legal. So, uh, they, uh, they shut that stuff down and now it's, it's hard to know where to get it handy except everywhere. Oh, so it's still, I mean, you're saying it's still not, it's like buying and, and there's pot a reason I in, I suffer in high school with this, or something. There's a reason I suffer with this pinched nerve. Part of it is my mattress and, yeah. and part of it, part of it is my carriage and part of it is my reluctance to go to a medical or massage professional. Because you just don't know what you're in for you don't know what you're in for. So I don't know if I would have used the site for that. I've you're never saying you might Mickey. get a, su- a surprise handy. But you see, you never know. It could be it could be a bonus. I don't know if that's covered by Medicaid. Um, but you know, I, I can see I can see the hand job place if I look out from my private office. <laughs> and there'll be very nervous men in San Francisco Giants jackets, very, very large men. Not not I'm sorry, you don't say that anymore, Zofdig men outside waiting for Mickey. <laughs> It's a lot like that Bruce Springsteen song. Anyway, um, so it's been a good week, a uh, big week. Uh, how you been? I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How You've you, you been doing good. You, sound, you always sound busy. Oh, you I, know, what we should do. got <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to hear this. Uh, I want you to continue. But we also should thank our, our good friend, D. Sparks. David Sparks. David Sparks for sitting in, uh, in my stead last week, and he did a terrific job. Yeah,
0: he, he was a, what, what we call in, in the business uh, a last-minute addition. Ooh. To the show lineup, uh, but we got him, and uh, and he did he did a great job. And when I asked him about it, I said, "Hey, can you you know can you hop in and 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 sit in?" And he's he's like, "Wow, I, yes, I would love to." just say when he's like, "But I don't I don't I don't think anybody wants to hear me." You know, I don't think anybody you wants know, to hear kind of me. That's his shtick. He yeah.
1: does that. as his shtick. Yeah, I don't think it's uh... ooh. Look at me, I'm David Sparks, and I'm a lawyer, and I write books. But I'm not worthy of anything. Everybody knows he's super talented and smart, and his presentations book
0: yeah.
1: is, uh, I, I think he's um, he's been doing a great job with this field guys, but I think he kind of turned a corner with this one. He brought in a designer, it looks really good, we'll put it in shoe notes, you should buy it. It's got me talking about slides and not slides in it, and David's great. And uh, I thought, you know, his anecdotes were great. And now he's making me envious today, because he keeps posting photos from Diagon Alley. I think he's at the uh, theme park. At the Harry Potter theme park, so I'm totally jealous. Yeah,
0: he sent he po- he posted a picture of the of one of these dragons on. Is that at Universal in Orlando,
1: where that is? I think it. Well, I don't know if it'd be Universal because it's, it's a it's a Warner Brothers property, I believe. But he he's at some kind of a, probably a California theme park. You know, when you're down in the OC, everything you need is within arm's reach. Including, you go to Gringotts. You could go to uh, Ollivander's. You know, Ollivander is played by the War Doctor. You haven't watched the Harry Potter movies yet, right?
0: I've seen some of them. I saw the one with um, uh, uh,
1: Commissioner Gordon in it. Yes, uh, that one was good. That's the best. I think that might be the best one. I saw one well, with he, a- he's in he's in three of them, but I think the third one, Prisoner of Azkaban, may be the best of them. I'm gonna have
0: to start getting into these. I, so. Let me ask you this. As yeah, movies, I, would, I would love
1: to talk about this.
0: I, would, I mean, that, it's your show. And we're, I want to hear what happened in the last two weeks. It's your show. Well, I, we've we've been burning through a Lemony Snicket book, uh, you know, a chapter a night. Yeah. So so each book is, you know, according to the math. The uh,
1: conflagration of Desperate Instances, what's it called?
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and we've seen the movie a couple times after we got through. The, I think the movie is the first three books, so we kind of you know, watch the movie coordinated after that. And now we're, we're getting into the sixth and final book, wow. I think tonight. Do you so, read
1: these aloud with your voice?
0: Yeah, I totally do. Jeez
1: Louise. Is Cause got the audio books. we got the audio books for Harry Potter and they're like nine hours long. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what do you read at night? Um, I don't. She has a little cabinet. We put her in. It's real comfortable. Um, Just Keep her out of the way. She's got plenty of time to learn to read. She needs, she needs to learn to be very quiet, very still. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's when I bring in people from the neighborhood. And we, we, uh, we, we play cribbage and uh, pachinko. Um, right. It's just a way to augment the income. Uh, no, um, mostly lately my wife has been reading to her at night. And my wife is currently doomed with reading my daughter a book that my wife really doesn't like, which is the series Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Which oh, my daughter, oh no, I
0: know those. I will not read. I just simply will not read
1: them. They're, they're kind of they're kind of unpleasant.
0: No, they really are. And I'm wondering at the Harry Potter. So the movies I think are fine for you know the seven year olds, but it, what about the books? Are they you know too in depth? Are they uh, the language understandable by a kid you know our kid's age or what?
1: Um you know i'm such a piker when it comes to this stuff, but i i I know from the 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 Harry Potter fan community that the books you know obviously have have the primacy so if you can read your kid the book that's good i'm going to say close your eyes Harry Potter fan community um that the um we've gotten the audiobooks you can get them either read by Jim Dale or if you can find them I think read by Stephen Fry, and I think they're terrific. Oh, 'd be great
0: he'd be great reading that, wouldn't he?
1: yeah, yeah, and so I mean, sometimes when we're you know we're trying to limit the amount of t v but we don't want to have to actually talk to each other, mm-hmm. we'll put on a Harry Potter audiobook, and they're terrific. Those are really good, but I mean you know, sorry guys, but I mean the movies are really great on their own, and i i I just I think they're awfully good, and I'm kind of surprised I didn't start watching them earlier. They're really nerdy, and it, it makes you it makes you nerdy to watch them, mm-hmm. but I adore them and the first two. We'll make this short, I think. I've seen them all many times now. The first two are by Chris Columbus, and they are, according to the Harry Potter fan community, which I want to stop saying at this point, are closer to the books, some people have criticized the books for being or the movies for being too close to the books but they hue pretty closely to the books some people don't like the performances of the young actors i thought they were terrific they're adorable mm-hmm. the three main characters they, you know uh stuff gets real with the third one because uh, what's the guy's name Quaron, uh, the guy who did children of men and the guy who oh. did he's in that great like uh, trilogy of like modern mexican directors you know mm-hmm. he's he's Prisoner of Azkaban is freaking great, and it's got great music in it. And Gary Oldman, Commissioner Gordon, is great in it. And it introduces some wonderful new characters. And then uh, what's fourth? Fourth is really good. I mean, they're all really good. I I would start at the beginning, otherwise you'll be confused. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's you know what it, you know. One thing it really resonates. I, I don't want to make this nerdy because that's not what I'd want to do. <laughs> but it's a it's a lot like the X Men in some ways. It's a lot like the fight the, scenes. You mean yes. Yes, there's, there's, a, there's an old yes. man. Yes, there's an old man who used to do Shakespeare in a purple suit who floats and he has magnets. No, it's, uh, it's about, um, it is kind of like there's almost like this Magneto like world where there's these wizards who don't like the non wizard community and in fact hate them. And that escalates over the years. And there's a lot of prejudice against wizards, but also against, then the wizards have prejudice against the people who aren't wizards. And it's, I think it's a pretty compelling story. And it's fun. There's lots of magic and owls. I'll watch anything with owls. So, you know, that's Harry Potter. It's something that uh, was popular like 20 years ago. Yeah, I'll look into that. As far as who it's appropriate for, Cash will be more than fine with it. Okay. There is some definitely, you know, some kids are especially sensitive. My daughter, you know, my daughter could watch people get, you know, blown up by a raccoon all day long. <laughs> and boy, was that ever good. I didn't see But that. holy... <sighs> you know, I'm, this is one of those movies, I'm going to say Guardians of the Galaxy. That's one of those movies I'm only going to talk with people who loved it as much as I did. Because I don't have any defense for it because I thought it was practically perfect. Yeah. Uh, but she, you know, there's some kids that are very sensitive to scary
0: music. Or there's- no, no. See, Cash is fine. Nothing scares him except he only has one fear in the whole world. And oh wait, that's- I, know, I know this. What? What, what, is, it? what is it? No, we'll no say if you think you know what uh, it is,
1: it's not. It's not bacteria in your body. No, or no, he's he not. He,
0: those things are interesting and concerning to him, but he's not afraid. Tell me, tell me, Bigfoot,
1: uh, the, the 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 canonical Bigfoot, yeah, the canon, yes, the Yeti. You Have said. you shown him the uh, the the um, motion adjusted movie?
0: Yes, he's seen that. It, but that's not his fear of Bigfoot doesn't come from that movie. It, it's it's more the the Finding Bigfoot show. He still watches Monsters Inside Me, but Finding mm-hmm. Bigfoot has taken a bit more of a precedence over over it. And uh, which is, I think, you know, one of these Discovery Channel type shows, which is exactly what you think it would be. The the guys get in their uh, GMC Yukons and drive around to different cities, <laughs> or, which are – I shouldn't call them cities. I should call them towns.
1: They're just knocking on doors?
0: They go to the different town, and then there will be this sort of group, and you'll find the lo- the local townies who will come up and say, you know, I-, I saw me some Bigfoot. And they'll tell the story of how they heard a, a, a twig break one night, and that they were sure it was Bigfoot because they found fur, and then they will explore and look for Bigfoot. And never find Bigfoot. And that's, mm. that's basically what happens. But Bigfoot has always been a concern for him. Uh, that's the only thing that he's afraid of. At, but if we don't talk about it at night, he's fine. But yeah. no amount of violence is frightening to him. No scary music is frightening. Nothing else concerns or frightens him in any way. Not even slightly.
1: Wow. My daughter just had bad dreams about the little robot guys in Hugo.
0: Really? You never know. You never know what going to Yeah, you be. never know
1: what it's going to be. She still has bad dreams about Proteus. About Mutant X. Really, I should never have done that I I know, that was bad, that. bad form so popping the stack, we got the uh, Harry Potter we got what you've been up to. You sound like you've been busy mm-hmm. uh-huh you got you got new irons in a, in a new fire yeah, a little couple things going it's exciting, different things you know, trying to, trying to shake it up. I've been having a very relaxing uh, couple weeks vacation, a little <laughs> yeah. bit of time off. Restful. <sighs> you just let it unclench and just <sighs> let it all go. It's yeah. been great. David That's Sparks. David Sparks, pinched nerve. Five Is days that back? Possible. Is the pinched mm-hmm. nerve back? It's, it's moved again. Um, it's more definitely in my fingers now. So I watch YouTube videos uh, where uh, chiropractors try to be funny and, and show you how to do uh, nerve gliding and flossing exercises. <clears throat> so I've been working on that, but uh, I think I need a new mattress. Anyway, it could it's just good. be as
0: some simple as you know the way that, that you sleep at night or which side you sleep on. Is it on the same side you sleep
1: on or on the other side? I, I can't tell. I always sleep on the same side. I should just pop for a hand job and just see if it works. You know, piss on a spark plug. I you know, I don't know everything about science.
0: It's okay? not cheating if you pay for it, and that's what I've heard. Is that right? Well, that's a Texas
1: that's a business transaction. Yeah. Like a gentleman. <laughs> it's business services. I don't have anywhere to leave a review. What happened? to Where's my Yelp for handies, Right. You know, who's going st- to stand up for them? Who stands up for the Jonathans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't prepare anything for this week. I've been thinking about Robin Williams, of course, like everybody
0: else. Robin Williams passed away uh, yesterday. And I, the last I heard was that they were conducting an autopsy today to determine, you know, a definitive cause of death, but that it looked like death by asphyxiation. In other words, they're saying that he hung himself. Oh, God. So that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently he suffered from depression for many, many years and in and out of rehab for various things. And, you know, you don't really I mean, I guess I guess people who who know about Robin Williams knew that. But
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Well, he's he's a real character uh, in the Bay Area. He's he just shows up places. Yeah. There's like everybody's got. Not everybody, but I mean, a lot of people have stories, especially if you go to comedy clubs. Um, you know, there's just, today you'll see, you know, a hundred anecdotes, you know, Norm Macdonald talking about him, like, showing up in his dressing room before, you know, he did his first stand-up routine, and, like, uh, this mm-hmm. family, I just saw a really moving thing somebody said about their, I mean, their family had just died, and the whole family had gone to a donut, sh- donut shop, and Robin <laughs> Williams was there, and walked up, and, like, was just very kind with them, and every story you hear about him, very, very kind guy. Uh, but, you know, you think even going back to... It's it's such a pointless effort to sit there and try to analyze anybody by their performance and try to gather a whole lot of string about what their life means. Mm. But, you know, part of what made his better dramatic and comedic parts in movies so compelling was that there was, there was clearly... Um, I want to almost said melancholy, but a sorrow. There's a certain sorrow to his performances. It's always right under the surface. Like he's got this real hangdog look. I think the two things. That, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'd love to talk about his manic energy because that was what made us all love him at first. But there's also this side of like real anger to him that, that would come through in some of his parts. That was just some of his best like little little cameo type roles. But also just an. The real sense of like uh, the weight of the world. You yeah, know, I just definitely like this.
0: understand what you mean when you say weight of the world, but I want to hear more about the the the, <laughs> the melancholy and the, and the the anger stuff because I think that's more subtle and maybe not everybody picks up on that. Yeah, well, by not everybody, I mean in some cases me.
1: Yeah, no, I understand. Um, well, you know, he's he's a, in some ways it's funny because for the longest time I, I started loving. Robin Williams, I started loving Steve Martin and Robin Williams probably within a year of each other. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, this um, is back for, for those who don't know. I just listened while I was driving. Uh, we went on this uh, enforced beast, uh, beach vacation, beast vacation. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, so I was driving out there and I played a, uh, I, you know, did a, did a, an audio book. And the one that I listened to is the Steve Martin Born Stone. Oh. oh God, that's good. And it was perfect, you know, listen to it the way up and the way back, and and it was just great. And the way that his, something about his voice is, I've always loved his voice, and I've always loved him as as a comedian and a comedic actor, and it was just so great uh, to listen to that on on the trip. And they did kind of come out and come into prominence at around the same time, didn't they? Like the early 70s, they were sort of being born. uh, And Steve Martin more, I remember from stand-up, and I guess Robin Williams is doing stand-up, but he got his start more from like the Happy Days, Mork and Mindy time period in the very early 80s,
1: late 70s. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think their their paths were pretty different. I mean, two things I love, I really can recommend the Steve Martin book. Two things I really liked about that. um, One of them was you know, Steve Martin is famously a very private guy. I think in one of the very early episodes, we posted a photograph of the card that he would give people when they would approach him, which would say, you know, you met me. What was it? Something like you met me and found me um, funny and engaging or something like that. (laughs) But, you know, he's a very private guy. He does not like talking about his life and his family and stuff like that. And I like the fact that he was able to produce such a great, working a a biography about work and life that wasn't just a bunch that wasn't like just tell all stuff or like juicy bits about like, you know, who he finger banged or something. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very well done. so the part B of that is it was so carefully put together. I mean- I'm, like something like the Ed Catmull uh, doc, uh, biography, I guess you could quibble about how much of it was exactly true or how much of it turned out exactly the way it did. Or, but it was such a great way of showing, like he just he first, you know, he worked at that magic shop, he did magic shows, he did these things, and how that built up. And then he drive to San Francisco and sleep in a car and do stand up. And I, you know, for anybody who enjoys Steve Martin or is just interested in the business that his show, I thought that was such a great book. But it was great. What I, what I would say is that. Robin Williams and Steve Martin, from my perspective as a, at the time, 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, probably about 10 or 11, was that they both arrived in my mainstream consciousness at the same time to the point where they were almost like, it was one of those things like, almost like with the Beatles and the Stones, where like they were the two completely wackadoodle comedians that everybody loved and could quote. Yes. And you'd buy a shirt or you'd buy an arrow through the head. And, you know, that was... You could tell there was something about, especially with Steve Martin, but in if, God, if you ever heard Robin Williams stand up, you knew that it was for grown-ups, really. Yeah. His stand-up is not for kids. No, um, in any way, shape, or form. But there was something it's almost like it's almost like Robin Williams was a ten year old kid's Monty Python, where you know, you saw this thing that was so anarchic. And so clearly out of control, like even just on the, the, the not very good TV show that he was on, there was something where he was just leaping out of the screen yeah. with this manic energy and without even knowing anything about how that show was produced and written and performed, you could just tell that, you know, he was, I I imagine it wasn't always fun to work around, you know, like if you were a person who was like a lighting guy and you had to do a 15th take because he wanted to do a gay Jewish tailor or something like that, but there was something where like you could just tell that like for somebody who was a nerdy kid who considered themselves a little bit smart, the speed with which he could fly through life and the way your mind works like the way that you process stuff in your mind, almost like when you're falling asleep, the way that he could go through that stream of consciousness and stuff, make it funny, take something he just said, turn that, turn that into another thing, and then leap off and pivot into this direction you never could have expected was, for lack of a better word, really inspiring yeah. to a lot of us little nerdy kids. <laughs> and I mean, I remember reading... Probably in the paper of record, Dynamite Magazine. I don't remember exactly. But my friend John and I were obsessed with Robin Williams when when, this is probably 1978 or nine. And I remember we both had read this article about, we were really blown away that he'd had a very unhappy childhood and that he'd been like a, a chubby kid who got teased and I guess maybe even bullied and that he just liked to play with army men and be by himself and was painfully shy. And that that didn 't even really start to go away until he started doing wrestling and stuff like that, but i don 't know you know you 're a little kid you 're looking for somebody you 're looking for you 're looking for people who are on the one hand like you or you 'd like to think that they 're like you, but then you also find these people who you 'd really like to be where you go if I turned out to be the best version of myself man i 'd love to be half yeah. of what that guy is yeah and uh i don 't know he i I have not followed his career closely. I think a lot of what he 's done has you know, he's, he's, a, he's a working actor. So he's done a lot of stuff that wasn't great, some stuff that was. But for me, it'll always be that childhood remembrance of him before, you know, before Good Morning Vietnam, before any of that, which is a great movie. But for me, it's just the impact that he had on another roly-poly, lonely kid who wasn't sure how to deal with the world. Right. That, you know, when you see somebody like that go away and you see them go away under these circumstances, it's hard not for that to tear a little hole Definitely. You know? Oh yeah, totally. I,
0: I, I have these vivid memories of being a kid and being, he's trying to stay up on Saturday night without my, you know, mom figuring it out and watch, trying to watch Saturday Night Live, you know, from like the corner down the hall, you know, and remembering seeing people like Steve Martin on there, seeing, you know, Robin Williams on. I remember these when they used to, they, I'm sure they still have them. I just, I don't pay any attention to it anymore, but they used to have like, You knew a a comedian was really something special if they got, like, an HBO special. Oh, yeah, right, right. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Robin Williams doing that, Steve Martin doing that. I remember, like, the Stephen Wright one when I saw that. That, like, changed my life, you know. And there were just these people back then, at least to me as a kid growing up, where, like, somehow – Robin Williams was an adult child in a way that seemed like he was like out there making it okay to be a little bit crazy, to be, to have a little bit of fun, to be this person who's clearly an adult, right? But he's acting the way we as kids wished we could act as kids, you know?
1: Oh yeah, that's a good way to put it. And
0: I just, I remember Mork and Mindy, like I had the little... Suspenders, we all had the suspenders, you could buy them with the little things already on them. do you remember that did you' have I, did, those? I, I
1: had uh i had non canonical suspenders, but yeah, I would wear them <laughs> with white painters pants and a dallas cowboys <laughs> three quarter length uh yeah baseball jersey, but
0: you know like little things like that like that was a thing you know and and it was just it, then seeing him later, I remember you know the the my understanding of him as an actor, him as a, as a person, changed a lot more with like uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Yes, I remember laughing at that and loving it, and not really understanding why I was laughing because I was maybe a little too young to get a lot of the jokes. But again, you know, seeing uh, seeing him there, seeing Dead Poet Society, Goodwill Hunting, for me, these were movies that I thought I remember sort of became part of this, you know, realm of like, like everybody goes back to Mrs. Doubtfire. I did not like that movie. Um, that was not, it's not, in, and yet that's the movie that so many people remember him for. I just didn't like, that was one of these movies like I didn't like, um, but everyone remembers him for that. And like he was in that movie Centennial Man. Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial yeah. Man, rather. Thank you. Uh, and there were a lot of other films that he was in that I just, I didn't, you know, that, that didn't do much for me. Uh, but, you know, regardless of whether I like them or not. Like you say, he was working. He was out there. He was in this, um, this, uh, midnight, uh, at the museum, uh, thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. He yeah, just yeah. Night finished, at the re- night at the museum. He just finished in, You see how good I'm with titles. And he <laughs> just, he just, you know, he was in another one of those. He was out there. He was working. He was producing stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to a friend of mine who is a, a comedian, working comedian, and I said, oh, dude, what do you think about Robin Williams? What do you think about this? He's like, Oh, this is like a he it's been he's like, I'm not surprised. It like, gets sad, but I'm not surprised because everybody know everybody knows that he's been struggling with depression and and that almost makes it worse. Yeah. Like if everybody knows, like why yeah. was he you know, like that's even worse that everybody knew and that it wasn't a surprise. It should be a surprise, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to get into depression because it's uh, so ineffable and it's very frustrating to people who have or may have depression to have other people constantly telling them what it is and how they should deal with it. But you know, the one thing I feel like I kind of do know about it is that the one certainty is that there's no way out of it. And that's what makes it, to my mind at least, different from garden variety blues or feeling down is that even the prospect of any way out of that can seem really crushing. I don't, you know, I, I wish I had more of an answer. I guess there's places that you, you can talk to friends and stuff, but I don't, I don't have any really satisfying answer to that. Um, but it's, it is, it's awful to know that. I mean, it's kind of the same way I felt in some ways, you know, like when Elliot Smith uh, took his own life, where right. he was, you know, Absolutely, one of my favorite mm, singer-songwriters so of all the time. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you you love him probably from the uh, the Tenenbaums movie. You know his music from that, right? From that and uh, Goodwill Hunting as well.
0: I think Goodwill Hunting was the first time that I consciously remember hearing
1: him and thinking, "Man, these songs are really good." And who is this guy? You know, that's, a, that's a funny connection because the year that Robin won nineteen ninety eight is the year Robin Williams won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting for Best Supporting Actor. Right. It's also, the year that Elliot Smith appeared alongside Celine Dion and Faith Hill to do an, a medley of Oscar-nominated songs. <laughs> That's right. And it's, it was incredibly awkward to watch because Elliot Smith is out there in this oversized white suit. But the story goes that Celine Dion had been very, very kind to him backstage. Everybody's like, oh, Celine Dion. But she had been very supportive, seeing that he did not want to be there. Right. Uh, um, you know, one thing, wish just I don't know, feels like, Weird to talk about this. But, you know, one one thing uh to, to that thing about that manic energy though. It's, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody who does like to- like, Okay, so here's the thing. I I've had this theory that has been shot down by pretty much every comic I've ever talked to, every comic comedian, whatever you want to talk to. But in my mind, I always see this big in my mental model of comedy, I see this real, pretty big divide between stand-up and improv. I know there's it's this this is just a mental model, but I I'm always blown away by people who can do stand-up because to me it's, it's almost like doing some kind of advanced math where you have to have a set you have to refine it you have to listen to the tapes and there's certainly things you improve about that performance aspect but just getting the slightest shade of a line better or knowing how long to pause at this point all the stuff that i just don't understand and things that terrify me i would be terrified to do stand-up comedy But, you know, the kind of stand-up he did was really much closer in many ways to improv. Like he had bits. He's had some bits. He's been doing the same like, you know, Ernest Angley, TV evangelist for, you know, 30 years. But, you know, um, there's something about watching somebody like him perform where on the one hand you can tell that there's like five to 90 things that he could say next. And it's just a a nanosecond decision which one of those he's going to go with that makes the most sense in that context. And that alone is, is amazing to watch. It can be annoying, but when it's done well, it's great. It does not translate always that well to things like an edited situation comedy. Yeah. It doesn't always translate that well to a montage of him doing funny voices in Mrs. Doubtfire. You get a lot of the, like, oh, gosh, it's that guy stuff. But I think in some ways, it's watching him on stuff like talk shows There's some people that I just try to never miss, like him and Will Ferrell, people who I'll always watch on a talk show because for different reasons, like Will Ferrell, whenever he's on Conan, he's always got a great bit that he comes out with that that kills. But with Robin Williams, there's a um, YouTube video going around that I'll put in notes of him on a, I think a fairly recent episode of Craig Ferguson, and he comes out as kind of like a surprise guest and they answer email from viewers. And it's, it's not the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life, but if you're a student or connoisseur, of watching people make comedy, it's hilarious. Because you can see them riffing off each other. And I was pointing, I, mean, I watched it like four times yesterday, and I was showing my wife, like, watch, watch, watch Robin Williams while Craig Ferguson is talking. He's not leaping. He's not waiting to leap and say his next funny line. You can see him always pausing a beat to see where Craig Ferguson is taking it. Mm. And that's a sign of real generosity and somebody who's an improviser. It's somebody who, yeah, he's a real hammy or whatever, but he wants everybody to look good. He wants it to be funny. And he's so great at throwing the next ball that's going to like respond to what you just said, amplify it, yes, and it, if you like, but then also have something that he can throw back to you that then you can make twice as funny too. And, you know, somebody like Amy Poehler is just like, she's the best at that. If you ever watch her in any improv thing, Amy Poehler is always the utility infielder. She's always the one that makes everybody look a thousand times better because she's not hamming. She's being a true improviser of being in the scene and keeping it moving and funny and weirdly logical in its way. And that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I really admire. But just sitting there and watching that video, you still see that same, like, seven pound weight on his shoulders that you imagine must always have been there the sorrow in his face even when he's sitting there and smiling and making jokes about chlamydia you can tell that there's something that's feels like there's something heavy there and it makes it more poignant to watch but uh, i don't know i hate to be mawkish about these things but you know it's uh it's when when somebody who's had a real pivotal role in some part of your life and then you know you haven't kept up with them, but then you hear about them going away. You're like suddenly like you're reevaluating all the stuff that's happened in the interim. Mm-hmm. So I'll really I'll really miss the guy, and I'm the, the conditions of it are just unbearable.
0: Yeah, and, and you know you hear about it and you wonder, like you're saying, it's like in in your mind this person may not be in the spotlight as much anymore, but then they're, you just kind of the knowing that they're out there kind of philosophy, you know. And and it's funny because. You, you want to hear that the person is doing something new or doing something different or whatever. Like, I don't watch Late Night uh, with David Letterman anymore, you know, or, uh, you know, just I don't I, I don't have time to watch it. I'll sometimes watch the top 10. I'll watch the things on YouTube, that type of thing. But I used to watch it religiously. But, like, in my mind, and I don't know why this is this way. Tell me if this makes any sense to you. But, like, knowing that they're out there, knowing that they're still out there, like, Doing that show, even though I don't watch it, knowing it's there is somehow w- weirdly comforting in a way. Does that make any sense? Is that co- oh, just yeah. me?
1: No, 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 no. That's not you at all. It's, it's true. It's, it's why we, um, hmm, so much of our, uh, for myself, so much of my own identity has come out of feeling like, you know, you start out feeling like this real raw nerve in the world maybe a slightly overweight, raw nerve, but you feel like this person who's utterly alone in some ways, you know, utterly unmoored um, by anything interesting, useful, or long-lived, and you start casting about for these things that will provide some meaning. And for me, far more than anything else, that was music over the years. Like from buying my first Wings 45, you know, uh, up through watching a Beatles documentary last night. Like I still, like, I'm so, my sense of self, self, whether I like it or not, is so heavily tethered to music but then I think that's also true in comedy and I think it's also true in acting and you know pick your version of any of this and it's almost like people like Robin Williams were the pushpin that attached this little piece of our personality to a board this part of ourselves that we thought made sense at the time and let us eventually move on and not think about it anymore <laughs> and when that pin goes away and that little piece falls down you kind of can't help but like reevaluate what that really meant and it may sound silly and but it's almost it's almost always a very sorrowful experience that you can't help but feel as a personal loss, which feels awkward because I've never actually met the guy. I mean, I've seen him around, but I've never like hung out with him. But still, you feel like you know that person and you feel like that role that they had in pinning down this piece of your life at a difficult time. Um, you're right. I mean, somebody like, again, like Bill Murray, like just knowing that Bill Murray is still out there occasionally jumping into people's photos or eating their fries at Wendy's just makes me happy to mm-hmm. know that he's doing that. He's probably not the nicest guy in the world, but I mean, a lot of, he's been a lot of pushpins in my life. Yeah, so I, I no, it, I agree with you. I didn't mean to take that over, but I agree with you. No, I, that's I, a, it's you super did,
0: hard. It, it is. And it's, you know, it, another example of this is always Johnny Carson, who's one of my biggest, biggest heroes. And I remember, you know, when he announced that he was, you know, retiring and, and uh, and you know, had to say that it wasn't a joke when he made the announcement, uh, but, you know, that he retired from it and he was still sort of around. And, you know, again, like you knew that he was older, you knew that he was retired. He hadn't really done anything. And when he passed away, it was almost like, oh yeah, well, he had this amazing career. And of course it's sad, but you didn't have this feeling that like he's still out there doing stuff. You know, I mean, Robin Williams, like we said, was just recording, uh, just filming this other, uh, this, this, this new movie he was out and he was working. And then to hear this, it, it's kind of surprising because that, that feeling of they're out there, like you're saying, they're still out there. They're still doing stuff. Now it's been taken away from you in an unexpected way and a tragic way. And, it's something I think a lot of us don't just don't understand people who don't suffer from depression. I don't think we understand it. Um, And I don't know. We kind of all feel like, like why couldn't we have done something? Like, is that strange to feel that way too? I don't know. It's like, you you know,
1: I don't think it's strange at all. Um, But I mean, it's, I think it's, it's, you have, one has to admit selfish is the wrong word, but, it starts with ourselves in some ways. You know, I think, you know, our first feeling is that shock. You know, like like the bottom has just dropped out. Like I yeah. I, I turned on um, All Things Considered yesterday, right at the moment I was just looking at Twitter and I was like, you know, you, you turn on Twitter and you can tell something's happened. You're like, oh God, something happened. Somebody died. And, uh, and it was... Uh, you know again, somebody who's older than you that's always been around and that you've considered like a real tentpole in in your in your life mm-hmm. or even in your personality when that goes away it's you know it's shattering and then to know the conditions there I think you can't help but feel like on the one hand, well, how could that be i mean I'm just saying, well, this is what one could think is how could that be how could that person right. be in that state when of course, there's a thousand reasons that person could be in that state, but you know and then there's just that sense of like and now it's too late. And that's 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 the part that makes it, at least from a selfish personal standpoint, go like what a, seem like what a waste or or you know what a tragedy. It's never not tragic when somebody dies. There's nobody. There's not that many people have, who have died where people went oh finally, like <laughs> it's always a bummer. Yeah. You start thinking about their family and you start thinking about you know all the undone things that you know we all have. But I don't know. I really I really wish. I'll just say I I don't have anything very profound or useful to say because you know just hearing people tell you the same trite you know tips on how to feel better in life at a time like this I think can be kind of almost insulting. But you know if you if you do struggle with these things and I I know from like from college when I was an RA we knew that when anything happened involving self harm on campus mm. you clenched because you knew that there was going to be a domino effect because when something like this happens. Um, it really tears the the rug out from under people, and they start to question some basic stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I I feel so trite saying that, but you know, if you if you if this does leave an, an outsized hole in, in a world that you already feel has plenty of holes in it, it probably would be good to talk to people to check in on people. Yeah. And there are there are there are places you can go. I just don't know that much about how that stuff works. But you know, the best tribute that you could make to somebody who found themselves in that position and where it ended that way, the best tribute you could do is, is, to, is to do your best not to end up, the, end up the same way. And, you know, maybe some folks around you can help you with that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> so what movie, uh,
0: what, what was your favorite Robin Williams movie? Popeye? <laughs> I saw it in the theater. Me too. I wow. thought it was great when I was a kid. I thought that was a great movie. It was that hilarious. The movie, movie is so weird. It's the it's maybe the worst movie of all time. And it, I I forget, but there the and, so, and it, so for people who don't know, this is Robin Williams in full makeup costume as the cartoon character Popeye. And Olive Oil is perfectly played by Shelley Duvall. Mhm. And I forget who played uh Bluto, I don't think he was a major player. Yeah, you like you'll if you see this guy, you'll know the actor who plays him. If you're from our
1: generation, but I don't think he was a big. Is it Paul something? I forget. Giamatti, Paul Giamatti, a very young Paul Giamatti. <laughs> he did he did a De Niro. <laughs> he went out and ate pork chops for three weeks. Right, it helped him grow a beard. And the songs in this movie are are, are sweet, oh, sweet don't. haven.
0: Yes. The problem is that you will, once you hear these songs, they'll stick in your head and you don't want them to because they're not, they're not good. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember being a kid and seeing this movie and then like not too long ago, yeah, maybe my kids would like this. And I put it on, it was like on Netflix. So I'm like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I had he, to turn it He threw himself it off.
1: into it though. Yeah. I mean, to his credit, I think he really did throw himself into the role and I think he kind of nailed well, he yeah, didn't want to the eat character. the
0: spinach. His he, his dad had to make him. He did not want to eat the spinach.
1: Mm, in the cartoon, he always wanted to eat it. Yeah, that's retcon. The, um retcon. <clears throat> I think some of his best stuff are small movies and little roles. But as far as the ones he's famous for, I really liked Awakenings. Great movie. Great, great, great movie. And, you know, De Niro was great in it, too. Um, I thought that was great... I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to. I'm given the tone today. I don't want to say the movies I didn't like so much, but um, I thought, I thought, uh, I thought, Awakenings was really good. I remember really liking Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam. When was that movie?
0: Yeah, for me, it was really Dead Poet Society because what you got to see in that movie uh, was him in a role that, on the one hand, was very funny, but on the other hand, was very deep. He played a real character. He played a real human. You know what I mean? And that was the first time that I really remember seeing a side of him that wasn't just this zany guy running around with the manic energy. It was more, you know, it was more him playing a, a, a character that had actual depth and that he, again, as he always did, even with this terrible movie, Popeye, the Popeye character he played was great. You know, yeah. he was great in that movie, and and he was amazing in Dead Poet Society, and and I really really enjoyed that. And also uh, Goodwill Hunting, I keep coming back to that because that was not a movie that was about him, but it was a it was him playing a role that was a, a fully developed character that uh, that was m- more than believable for him in that role, and. Uh,
1: yeah, it was good to see him in roles where he was in a supporting role where, you know, his mania was not called for. Yeah. And in that case, you know, yeah, I haven't seen that in a few years, but I remember really liking Good Will Hunting. I don't know if
0: it holds up or not, but um, but it, it was still great movie. You could really <laughs> pull any of the movies he did and find something to like.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the one thing I want to say about Popeye, though, is that there's, uh, I still have an image in my mind. I actually found it, uh, an image of this one time. Which is, (laughs) I just, I love every time Olive Oil's father says, you owe me an apology. And I just hear that in my head when I read the internet all day long.
0: (laughs) You owe me an apology. Yeah. See, but I would never take that movie away. I would never not want to see it, nor not want to have seen it. You know what I mean? There's something about
1: it. Part of, I don't know, I I think it's very, this is maybe an easy way out, but I, I think it's very appealing when somebody just does a whole bunch of stuff, I mean, everybody's probably got at least one Stanley Kubrick movie they're not that into. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe it or not, some people have George Lucas movies they're not all that into. But I mean, the thing is, if you're if you're a working performer, you work and you keep doing stuff and you try new things. And you know, regardless of what your financial status is, there's there's something to be said for keeping busy and keeping working. And you know, it's it's, it's so funny how how many of my favorite actors their last movie was not actually good. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be nice to think that, to remember Peter Sellers for being there. Right. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. But his last movie was actually the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, <laughs> which is not as good. It was not a Hal Ashby <laughs> film. But... Um, but you know, but the thing is that's that's just life is like that, man. I mean, we we make these stories out of these, you know, weirdly random events that happen like weather and then try to make some sense out of it. And that's just not how it works. We yeah. have good days and we have bad days. We have good rolls and we have bad rolls. And, you know, success in some ways when you can keep it is to keep to have two or three bad things in a row happen, come back and then hopefully make that into something good. But you know I don't when you—that's th- grit. But that's that. That's and you know, it, you know, to, to dwell too much on it's, it's such a dumb critical thing to want to like try to tie everything up with a bow and say was this person good? Was this person bad? Was this whatever? I mean, if they've ever done one thing that moved you, you should be grateful.
0: Oh, that's a great way to say it. And you know what I was going to say is like these. You know, he's an he's an actor who works like getting hired to do to be in a movie. That's a job. You know, am I thrilled? About my performance on every job that I've had, uh, no, you know. So if you look back, oh, I remember when I was like the IT guy in this company, and man, I, that that everything about that sucked. Well, that was a job, and I spent a year doing that, you know. Well, there's a movie. It, the only difference is millions of people see you in a movie that maybe you're not incredibly proud of, whereas uh, hopefully not that many people saw me, you know, not giving a crap when I was the the IT guy at that one company. Like, right? They're they're taking a huge risk by being in a film even if they are really good in it the film may not be good or you know the the way it's promoted is not good and no one goes to see it like they're failing in public they're taking that risk of i'm going to try something and and maybe it'll be fun and maybe it won't and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't and and they're taking that uh, you know they're taking that risk
1: I, I 100% i mean the amount of work it's uh, f- another flavor of that's fine for Merlin in some ways, but, you know, it's so much work to do a film. Have you been following the journey of, uh, what's the guy's name? Is it Chris Pine? Is that Captain America? Oh, that yeah, his name. The current actor for... Is that his name? I don't know. Uh-huh. I feel dumb that I don't remember this. Um, not Chris Pine. Chris... Oh, God. Somebody yell his name. Who's Captain America? What's his name? I'm looking it up. Oh, this is embarrassing. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Um, uh, Chris Evans is not having a great time right now. And following his journey through being in the Marvel... Uh, Why is he not having a great time? Um, it sounds really rough. Um I mean, you know, first of all, so, so here's the that's my Merlin part or whoever part, is that, you know, oh my gosh, wow, Chris Evans gets signed. I think they, their typical package is something, it's a multi-picture deal. Like, if you sign on to be Captain America, I think it's something like eight or ten movies that you sign on for. So, of course, everybody in the world is going to go, oh my gosh, that's amazing.
0: Wait a minute, he, play, he played uh, Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four movies,
1: too? Yeah. I did not realize that. He was good. He was really good. I mean, the movies weren't great, but he was, he was a really good Johnny Storm. Um, eh, I don't want to go into it too much, but you know, it's it's you know, it's I think that the kind of work that those folks are doing is a lot more difficult and a lot less fun than it looks. I mean, Chris Pratt in his interviews makes it sound really fun, but you know, just imagine. I mean, first of all, I don't—they're not making like Julia Roberts' money in these movies. There's stories about what what some of the folks in uh, the Avengers, for example, like Jeremy Renner. I think did not have a giant payday in that he's he's a, he's basically like a contract player and he's not loving it and he is being more um forthcoming about about what a what a drag it is to do because think about it, you go and you show up and you stand in a giant green room and throw your shield at something that's not there 15 times and then you do it another 15 times <laughs> and then you go and that's a year so you spend a year doing oh that and then you go and do endless numbers of junkets and tours and interviews, and you've got to be incredibly enthusiastic about this thing no matter what. Anyway, it's, I guess all I'm saying is that if you, there's stuff out there you can read about that. He sounds like you know, he's trying to be a gentleman about it, but he's like, I'm not sure I want to act much longer. <laughs> right. And I, I, I don't know. I, just, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to make it through these chaotic projects. I mean, you don't get to have bad days. When you're a professional actor, yeah. like you, there are so many people that are being paid to be there on the day, and you get that call sheet, and you better be there at 8 a.m. Or in the case of like uh, Karen Gillum or um, Dave Bautista in uh, Guardians, like her makeup took I think three hours a day, his makeup took like five hours a day. So like if you suddenly get a cold sore and want to take a nap, well you're sol. Like we're just going to have to put some latex over that and have you get in the green room. Like that's this is this is what we do. So I don't know. I have a lot of respect for people who do movie stuff. I think it's much more difficult and lonely work than most people would imagine. And because they are perceived as being successful celebrities, I mean, what greater curse can there be than being perceived as a successful celebrity? You still got the same problems everybody else has, but now everybody else is interested in your problems, and it's uh, it's rough. It's rough. Boy, this is a really depressing show, Dan. Well, I mean, it's your show, so... It is. You know, it would really liven it up. Why don't you tell me about something you like? I would love to tell you about our friends over
0: at Squarespace. These guys make it incredibly easy for you to create a website of any kind. For example, Portfolio Site. A a site where you want to put up the work that you've done. Uh, Beautiful image galleries. You can do commerce with them where you can can pretty much sell anything. Uh, You have an iOS app. You want to build a little site for it so that you spend your time. What working on your app and supporting it and not promoting it because the site's going to help you do that. All of this stuff, all built in, all comes standard with an account that starts at only eight bucks a month. Uh, we have a special offer code for you that'll get you that. And uh, let's see what it is. I'm looking at my document. It is It's Your Show spelled out. Mm-hmm. No no apostrophe, just It's Your Show. Uh, that'll get you 10% off and it'll take the, the price down to starting at eight bucks a month. You get a free domain name. If you sign up for a year, you get 24-7 support. They have live chat and email for that. And these designs are constantly coming up with amazing templates that'll, that you can use to customize the design of your site, make it look beautiful. A good example uh, of of a, a relatively straightforward minimal site is the site that I did for Bacon Method, baconmethod.com, uh, which teaches you how to make perfect bacon in like with one step. But the thing is, this is a Squarespace site. And... It is so. It, it took literally fifteen twenty minutes to build out the entire site. It has a way that if you uh, if you have an Amazon affiliate account, you just paste that code in, and anything you link, whether it's in a blog post or on, a, on 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 the you know like pretty much anything you link to that has an Amazon link, it'll detect it and set that up as an affiliate ID for you. Like all of the stuff that you want to do has been thought of integrating with the social networks. Pretty much everything. Uh, and they showed me, Merlin, I don't think you've seen this yet. I can't talk about it, but I got a demo of what's coming up and oh. they said specifically don't, don't say that you've seen the demo. So I won't, I won't say that I've seen this and they said, don't talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about it, but let me just say this. There's some really good stuff coming up and God, you're the worst. Really dude. That was awful.
1: Why would you do that?
0: Become a, uh, a customer. Ten percent oh, off my goodness on your new account if you use the code it's your Show. You can also go to squarespace.com slash back to work. Both of those would support our efforts here and uh in creating this program for you. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting back to work with Merlin Man.
1: And Benjamin. Boy, you somebody are somebody heated up a-
0: some chicken soup or something in here. Yeah. And the whole place smells really good. It smells like home, smells like grandma's.
1: Mm. That's rare. It's rare to have someone heat something and, and it's it's not off-putting. Yeah, usually, like if you if you know that
0: I don't know what it is. I call it the Doritos effect, where even if you like eating Doritos and you love Doritos, even if it's your favorite food, and somebody else is eating the Doritos and you're not eating the Doritos, it becomes the worst smelling stuff in the world. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Totally agree. No matter what food it is, if I if someone else has it and I smell it on a plane, I want to kill them. Yeah, I want to kill them. I want to hit them with their food. Oof. But we usually, like somebody brings a pizza or a hoagie. You want to smell a hoagie on a plane? Hoagie on a plane. <laughs> Morrissey Morrissey got dropped by his label again. Again? Again. Why? They don't know oh, a good thing when they have it. He's saucy and difficult. You know, that's that's why we love him. It's a meat-free sauce. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know, Dan. I don't even know where to take it from here. Has your, uh, we can go back to talking
0: about comics, kids, something like that.
1: Yeah, people love that. Yeah, you know, celebrity, deaths, and kids. It's it's really it's why people tune in. It's our it's our corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, we could talk about that. We could talk about the comics. We uh you know, I I it's it's probably too late to look it up now. We got a good email. Did you see that email we got from the uh oh, yeah, yeah. PhD person? That was good. That was a good email. It's probably too late to go too deep on that. That would be a good one. Let's see what else we got here. But well, you're okay. still you're still coming out, you're coming back to life, you know you're
0: it's your awakening in a way, yes, from your respite,
1: I'm on the tile floor and someone threw a ball at me. That's actually not so different from my own condition <laughs> Did honestly. You, you
0: caught and you just instinctively catch the ball.
1: I think a lot of what I struggle with has to do with executive function. it's not I would like to think it's not anything approaching Parkinson's disease, but once I'm in motion doing something, I'm usually in pretty good shape. Sometimes my most difficult, so anyway, in awakenings, if I'm remembering this, this is from memory, but what, what he discovers is, he calls them the Parkies, like the Parkinson's patients, is that he discovers that it's that essentially that they can't initiate activity, but they can like respond to activity, so they can't throw a ball, but if you throw a ball, they might catch it. And I guess that has to do something, something medicine, and then they figure out how to fix, fix the problem. But, yeah, you know, that's kind of like me. is like once I'm in motion, I'm in good shape, but I don't always get in motion. And sometimes the trick for me is figuring out how to get in motion. An object in motion tends to remain in motion. Yeah, that's uh, Newton's ninth law of reality.
0: Are, is this so, is it like a rotator cuff? I think, I think. Are you talking
1: about my nerve? Yeah.
0: Oh, man, we're not talking about my nerve. I thought that's what you were talking about.
1: Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. I was talking more about life.
0: Still thinking about the the your I'm worried about you.
1: Thank you. I, could it be uh, bursitis. Could be bursitis, could be lumbago. <laughs> um Limburger. Could be could be Limburger. That's a Limburgeritis, which is when you get an inflammation like from an autoimmune cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's difficult. It's not simple. You shouldn't eat soft cheese when you're pregnant. And if you're gonna get pregnant, make sure you're a woman. Wait a minute. These are, these are the should... kinds of things that are difficult. You're yes, ta- yes you're talking there a question? about
0: when about – when you talk about getting in motion, you're saying it's easy to sort of sit there and not do anything. And – and but once you are starting on something, then it's easy to, to keep going with it. You know what I want to tell you about? It's a problem that I've noticed in obs- observations of myself. Mm. I notice that there are sort of – there is – what would it be a good phrase? Because if we come up with a good phrase – we could really coin this thing and run with this. Make mm. t- we make t-shirts. There is a a certain mindset that I find I will get in because my job consists of a, of a few different things. Again, I, I know it's your show. I don't want to make this about me. I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to go on. I'll,
1: I'll, uh, I'll allow it for now.
0: All right. On the one hand, I do, I do the shows. On the other hand, um, I'm behind the scenes uh, selling the shows. Um, I have sort of a management role of the business and, and the employees. And then I still also have a role where I spend a lot of time uh, writing code because we're launching a couple things. We get some new things. And although I have a developer and I'm trying as hard as I can to transition everything to the developer, that is a time-consuming process. So I still find that that I'm writing uh, code, and that's what I wanted to sort of talk about. And I notice the same thing when I'm on a writing project uh, because to me, writing words and writing code, there's a similar – in my mind, there's a similar approach to it. I'm not writing fiction, so maybe that's why. Um, But what I find happens is I will start to, whether it's a a coding problem, if you will, or, or working on a feature or working on a coding project similar to writing, thinking, oh, how do I explain this? How do I write this chapter? How do I approach this topic? And I will get almost locked into thinking about it, not in an OCD kind of lock in way where you're looping, but where it will sort of consume your thoughts in a way that the other things that you are supposed to do as a human being, like be nice to people or communicate with them or work on other things that need attention will kind of fall away and you'll sort of just be focused on this one thing. And it'll sort of affect your your train of thoughts. And I notice that these other things that have dropped away. It's bad that they've dropped away because you know you you might be perceived as uh, a, a horrible human being because you're not you know responding to people the way that they like to be responded to, or mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. Like, and you, yeah. it's it, it and and this is something that during that time, though, at the expense of those other things, my productivity will be huge. I'll be able to get chapters written or tons and tons of features done at the expense of, of being a human being for a while. But I'll be able to get tons and tons of this stuff done, moving small mountains around even uh, for, for a day or two or even more at a time. And, but it's at the expense of all of this other stuff, but I find that that's when I am doing the best in the, in that space of coding or writing, that's when I'm doing the best work is when I'm, I'm doing it at the expense of all these other things. And, and then when I come out of it, awakening, if you will, I was like, man, I can't believe I got all of this done. What a huge effort, what a huge push. And I'm like, oh man, all this other stuff that I've been kind of ignoring as I've been, you know, pursuing this goal. Uh, even though I kind of knew it at the time, I couldn't really snap out of it until I got this thing done. Right. Is that uh, an abnormal thing or is that a typical process for people? Because I know people that seem to come in and I just do regular work day after day. I, I just, I don't find that I'm like that.
1: And I is feel it, like is it, this it, is bad. Is it, is, is it that you wish you, realized you were doing it sooner or you wish that it just, you wish that you could just had a better clutch and could change gears? Yes. yes. And it, it, yes,
0: because a lot of the time I don't go into this state of mind. It's, it's only a very occasional thing. I don't know if it's even a monthly thing, but I find that, you know, it's easy to go in right at, you know, write an hour code a day uh, or two or whatever your day allows for and not fall into this Ro- what I'll call the robot mindset where you almost s- transition into this deep cerebral mode where uh it, it's kind of a, an obsessive all you can think about kind of thing and and I find that if I can if I go into that mode it does consume everything and that but but what I'm able to accomplish during this is is
1: tremendous right so you wouldn't want to give away the ability to get stuff accomplished, but you don't like it being at the expense of other stuff you feel like they should be paying attention to. Right. Yeah.
0: Is this a common problem for people who write or write code or, or invent or whatever, or is this, uh, just a problem I need to address privately?
1: No, I mean, I think what you're describing is pretty common among a lot of overachieving people. um, I mean, the, the I, I I don't have a solution, but I have a very general way to I, way I would define it is that most of the stuff that ends up becoming a problem, and I might be projecting here, but most of the stuff that ends up becoming a problem for us is based on and rooted in a thinking problem, uh, which is that we're. Thinking too much about something, we're thinking too little about something, we're, you know, we're not thinking about the thing we should be thinking about, or it's a ruminative problem where you're thinking, you know, in the worst of cases, you are thinking endlessly on a loop about something that you can't do something about. Right. And so at least you know, th- that's the worst case scenario because you're not even getting what you'd theoretically like to get done Accomplished because your wheels are spinning on this other thing that you're not even doing, which I think is pretty common. I mean, people call that procrastination, but I think it has deeper roots than that. But um, no, I don't. That doesn't sound uncommon at at all. I mean, you know, and there's there's certainly there are kinds of tasks where you need to disappear into them for a certain period of time. But the the positive side of that is when you have a day where you wake up. And in my case, I am able to get myself motivated to to doing something, and then I'm able to knock down two or three things, and then suddenly, um, not I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say everything seems easy, but everything definitely seems less impossible, which is a really buoyant feeling. If you've had a, if you've had some feeling stuck in a rut, you've been thinking like oh, there's all this stuff that I'm doing or not doing. Uh, that's to me that's really easy to get stuck in, and it's it's strange and sometimes humbling what it. Can take to get you out of that. It's just that in some extreme cases, like what you're describing, and then it's hard to not get out of that productivity mode. But I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I wish I had a better solution to that because it's almost like I don't want to not. I don't want to not do it. Well, I've known people who are bipolar that just dis- decided that they didn't want medication for it because oh, because they're so yeah. I've heard about this. They're, they're like they. That's their most creative or productive time. Yeah, yeah. That, that if they didn't have. What we used to call mania, uh, but if they didn't have those on periods, from a practical standpoint, they feel like they wouldn't get anything accomplished. But also, they wouldn't get their—they lose the magic, uh, if you like, of what enables them to go from ruminative day-to-day, you know, paying the parking meter type things to being able to disappear into something and have something magical come out on the other side. So, I mean, everybody wants those, you know. And then you can also think of that. I guess it's a flow state, something where, you know, the t- time disappears and, you know, everything seems kind of weirdly doable and already sort of in place for you to be working on. Yeah. That's that's a great feeling to get. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that one, but it is it is definitely super frustrating when, especially in, for the people in your life, where it could be something like where you're going, Well, I got this and this and this and this and this done, and now I'm going to do this and this and this. And like, Well, you still haven't taken the trash out. That's yeah. going to take you like two minutes. Right. And in some cases, taking the trash out
0: might be, you know, calling a sponsor to close a deal or replying to an email of somebody who's asking for a question or telling your employee that, yes, it's okay for them to have, you know, fa- uh, the Father's Day Friday off, you know, to travel. Like, all of these other things sort of start stacking up and, and there's that feeling of like, well, but yeah, but if I stop doing this, like, I'll lose the momentum because, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, football's all about momentum and you want to keep that going you you know if you take a break or if you don't work on it after you get home from work and the kids are asleep or if you don't try and fit in an extra 15 or 20 minutes before you shave and shower in the morning like you'll lose that momentum and then you'll never get it back because you'll fall out of it and you'll be back in your old habit of non you know super productivity in the coding space and what happens then is you won't you won't get this stuff done and there's also on the the dark side of it is that there is a little bit of Obsessive compulsive thinking in that problem solving, and I find that people who are uh, who tend to be really good logical thinkers and and problem solvers also have the flip side of that. Which, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm really good at any of this, but the flip side of that seems to be that it does have that obsessive uh, pattern to thinking. And that's definitely been my biggest struggle my whole life is to uh, not fall into that kind of loop where um, where you 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 get into this this thought that continues to repeat itself or this question that you have that can you continue to try to answer totally and, totally know, it's,
1: well there's a there's a, um, a, a very simple and I think very compelling model in cognitive behavioral therapy that I will now proceed to massacre because I'm a layman. <laughs> but, you know, the as I understand it, part of the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy is that the way that we think and the way that we feel and the things that we decide to do are all perhaps hopelessly locked in with each other. And if we're not aware of how much the the way that we think, the way that we behave and the way that we feel. If we don't understand that those have a very serious l- linked relationship with each other, it can really get the better of us. And so for somebody like perhaps you or me, in I'm guessing different ways, the one problematic part becomes the thinking. So you start thinking and thinking and thinking. And so I'm trying to I'm Googling here for examples of this. But you know, you could sit there and go like, um, I'm thinking I'm thinking that uh nobody likes me. Mm-hmm and uh, nobody wants to be around me, which might lead to a behavior of, I start going out a little bit less. And when I go out a little bit less, I start to feel really bad because now nobody's inviting me out, which leads me back to a deeper thought, right? That can become a kind of loop. The way you think can have, a, the way you feel will have an effect on your thoughts. The way you think can't help but have an effect on your behavior or lack of behavior. And how you persistently behave then ends up having a huge impact on how you both think and feel. It's not; it's simple, but not easy. And and so, I mean, again, this is not medical advice, but I, everything I've read and things that I have found helpful say that one of the best ways to at least try and snap yourself out of that. Well, I guess there's a couple ways. One is to try and realize that the thoughts are things you think in your head. That That's not always a great comfort because it can make you feel like a crazy person or it can make you feel like a simp. But if you start realizing that like what you choose to think about situations are on some level, if not your decision, they're at least your problem or your deal. And that if you're not thinking thoughts that comport with how the world operates, you kind of shouldn't be too surprised that your life feels out of balance. That's, that's one thing to be aware of. It's not the answer, but it's something to be aware of. But the suggestion that I've heard is that if you want, shoot, if you want to sleep more, if you want to spend more time with your family, if you want to make small progress on a writing project, the first thing to change is the behavior. That if you you do something differently today, it is very likely, if you do something positive differently today, even in a small way, that's very likely to have an effect on how you feel and how you think. That could be something, I I swear this is true, that could be something as simple as deciding that you could be happier right now than you are. It could be deciding to stand a little bit taller. It could be deciding, it sounds so silly, right? Look at the chimneys. Think about like just taking a walk down the street. Get out of that situation you're in. The equivalent of snapping the rubber band, right? Right. (laughs) Get me me out of this room and I'm going to go move around a little bit. And if you, with that behavior, and again, you could think of these in massive, giant loops or little, little teeny tiny loops for most of us. But I mean, you know, think about the classic example is like you feel a little bit blue or if you like, you get a little depressed, even if you're not clinical. You're very likely to do something something like sit around and eat Lay's potato chips and watch Netflix. And now you feel bloated and you feel bummed that you wasted your evening watching Netflix. And that becomes part of that loop. So something has to change somewhere. I guess I feel like for me, the most effective thing, and I realize this is incredibly generic, but to me, it begins with the realization that those things are linked. And it continues with the understanding that thinking is frequently one of the biggest problems there. If mm-hmm. I didn't think as much as I did, I probably wouldn't have good or bad feelings of any kind. It's the thinking about them that makes them what they are. And But that behavior change feels so out of reach because you've, you've now thought yourself into such a feel hole, like you feel so bad, you think so bad. Why would your behavior be anything but mopey? <laughs> and for splu and mopey, I'm doing a uh, Hutsucker Proxy now. But uh, a change in behavior can help that. So anyway, so being aware aware that these things are linked together, being further uh, cognizant of the fact that the way that you habitually think cannot help but have a huge impact on how you behave and feel and think, but then deciding to try and make some kind of small and kind of doable change. And that could be as simple as right this second just stand up. Tell yourself I can stand up. I can do that. I can do that. I can stand up. Now sit down again. Tell yourself that you can do these things, that you have the executive function to get those things rolling. Because if you become too ruminative about these things, everything will feel out of reach. Your feelings, you'll start to feel as though, you'll start to think as though your feelings can go nowhere but down. Mm-hmm. That will amplify. You will start to slouch. You will start to feel sad. You will scrunch up. And uh, your behavior might be very still. Your reaction might be to go hide under a pillow, <laughs> which is probably not the thing that's ultimately going to get you out of that. So I'm not trying to give a solution for that, but I I just feel like in my Study of my own problems, I realize how much of it starts and ends, in many cases, with thinking. Because thinking is very easy, and you can think yourself to death. And as so I'm fond of saying, you can think yourself into almost anything, and you can think yourself out of virtually nothing. You, when is the last time you thought yourself out of anything, and it wasn't anything more than just trying to fool yourself or right. ignore something? Right. That's not. That's not what causes the change. You've got all of those All of those boats have to rise with this same little bit of tide moving up. So, you know, in the case of that behavior thing, that could be stuff like, you know, it could be stuff like having an alarm. That might be frustrating the first few times. It could be something like feeling very well prepared for coming back to this task after you take a break and read your kid a book or whatever the kind of thing is that you know would, you know, make them happy. So um, that behavior change makes a big difference though because the behavioral change is where you get out of the feelings, get out of the thought, and move back into a physical world where things mean things. So I was realizing I wasn't reading to my daughter as much as I liked lately. And so I made a point of saying, when I walk in the door, we're going to wash our hands. I'm going to walk over and grab a stack of books. I'm not choosing one book. I'm going to grab these six books and see if any of these appeal to you. None of them appealed to her, so we read Guardians of the Galaxy on the iPad. But it worked because the behavioral change of grabbing those books had a knock-on effect. And I did feel a little bit better, and I was more into that moment then that's a dumb example but that's that's the kind of thing that i think can make a really big difference we're so smart and we think so much and it's so easy to think that we can think about thinking and make that thinking the thing that we think better and all in my experience all that does is just you it's like you're you've got an incredibly high-powered engine that's just driving your axles deeper and deeper and deeper into the mud Mm. what you really need to do is stick a board under there and be able to get some traction so you can get out but no, no, no! I got to go rev my engine more before I can do anything. No, you need to behave differently so that you can feel and think differently. Pooh! Boy, was that some Doctor Phil? Does that, does that does that make any sense? Well, it does. It does,
0: and you know, it's the the whole concept of behavioral modification or behavior modification. You know, you think about in. I know somebody that uh, I'm fairly close to and they, you know, like they've tried lots of different things short of medication or meditation to try and make their life better, make their life easier, not deal with the kinds of anxiety that they struggle with on a regular basis. No, it's not me. It's, and me. I can tell. it's me it, it, it it's you it is me uh, no it's not and uh and you know at some level i remember a therapist i was going uh going to you know seven or eight years ago she she's the one that kind of eventually led me to the whole uh, meditation thing uh and i remember she used to say like when i would tell her about issues that I was having with this person, they were like, well, it's obviously working for them. Uh, there's something about it that works for them, that even though it seems to you to cause stress, anxiety and and hardship in their life and your life, there's something about those behaviors, there's something about that that, that solves a problem that they're having, not in a good way, not in a healthy way, not in a way that they shouldn't be trying to change, but it does solve their problems, it addresses their feelings and the needs that they have. And they're probably not willing to make a change because either they don't see that there are unhealthy side effects to the way that that they're approaching solving these problems, or because they've tried other things and it hasn't provided them with the same kind of relief for that problem. And it's weird because when you think about it, and we've talked about OCD and other things, like people who with OCD, when they check that light for the 50th time, it's providing some kind of very temporary relief for that concern that the light's still on and they meant to turn it off. Like when it, mm-hmm. while they're checking it, it's it's making them feel better that it's off. Of course, whatever the thing is that would tell a regular person, yeah, you checked it, it's off. Like I know it's off. Um, what, what it tells them is, is well, you checked it, but that was a while ago. Uh, maybe that was yesterday. Right, you better go check that thing again. And it's I've, very,
1: it's a very short uh, consolation. Yeah, and so it the, doesn't, the, doesn't stick. It doesn't provide relief much. So like almost like checking your email, it doesn't provide <laughs> you. Re- no, honestly, because it doesn't provide right. you, you. Well, and what the difference is with email, you know something's likely to be there, but it doesn't give you consolation for much longer than the time that you've turned your back and walked away, knowing that the oven's off or whatever. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Yeah, no, exactly right. As soon as you get away from it, um, it it's it, it's gone, and I right. feel like that's uh, this behavioral modification thing. Like that's hard work, you know. Whether it's snapping a rubber band or the other things that you've been talking about, you know, it, it's it's that challenge going back to the to that productivity phase or being in the zone where you almost understand that like that's that's the way that you can get stuff done and i imagine if you're like 25 years old and single that that would be a really productive way to be as often as you want but i almost have to make that like you're talking about make that conscious decision and yeah i guess this just isn't going to get done cuz i can't afford to go into that mode right now All right and if if i do open the laptop after my kids asleep that will be the trigger that if i do that guess what i'm going i'm that means i'm ready to walk down this path now,
1: and maybe i shouldn't hmm i in the early days of forty three folders i, I re- kind of regret this term, but I couldn't think of a better one at the time in in referring to certain flavors of life hacks I would call them useful landmines but hmm. i think I think uh, another way to think of it is externalizing of when you take something that's a good intention and then um make something change in your physical world or in the world of time and space. Let's put it that way. When you make a a change in time and space um, that externalizes a a thought or a desire, I think you're making progress. It feels simple-minded to classically put your briefcase by the door. But here's another example of that, I think, is if you're in that loop, and I think this is a pretty common loop, which is that I, I am a ectomorphic homunculus of a man that no one can ever love. I feel like a big fat slob, and I just sit here and don't do anything, and I just sit and ruminate how what a horrible person I am, and so the relief you might want from that again is to maybe eat some hagen doss or something like that, and I I can put away a pint of hagen doss like during a commercial break, like I can just do that. That's a thing. Oh my gosh! Ever had that chocolate therapy, brother? <sighs> um, that's Ben and Jerry's actually. Sure. Um, but then, <laughs> but then you feel crummy about that, and maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it, it uh, gives you the poops or something, or maybe you can't sleep because you got all that sugar in you. That that loop starts, that loop continues. You wake up the next day, and you try and ameliorate those bad feelings with things that are not that are actually making that behavior become more profound, rather than you know helping you make the changes you'd like to make. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think any any sane change in diet. And we always come back to diet because I think it does have an impact on how you feel, causes an impact on how you feel. But, you know, I remember when I first did uh, the Atkins diet and I dove in with both feet and had great success with it, whether or not the science is valid, I I had great success with it. I think this is very true with paleo. If you're going on any kind of a change, a change to diet or lifestyle, there is, uh, you know, setting aside the step zero of I'm going to do this, the real step zero is to throw out really throw out or if you like donate everything in your cabinet that does not support the kind of diet that you would like to have. So even if you have the greatest willpower in the world, like having potato chips or peanut oil or Ben and Jerry's ice cream, anything you're trying to avoid, you just got to get rid of it because now you don't have to be as strong. It's just not there. Don't buy it. That's, well, wow, that's incredibly obvious to anybody who doesn't have that problem. And anybody who does have that problem mostly says, I can handle it, but you won't handle it because at some point the thinking and the feeling is going to lead you to an old, comfortable behavior, even if it's not a behavior you love. How many people do you know that are in relationships with the same kind of dickweed person over and over and over? And you're like, why do you keep going out with these people who are practically abusive? Well, it feels familiar. And the abuse that we bring ourselves with tons of Ben and Jerry's can feel very familiar. It's something that makes sense in a sea of chaos and unknowable things. So if you get rid of all that stuff, that's, that's a big, 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 big step. And then only have stuff in the house that, that, like, but you know, not just get rid of the bad food, but get good food. Like, get a snack that you can tolerate for a while. It might take you a while of eating trail mix or whatever, or beef, you know, organic beef jerky or whatever it's going to be. Find something you like, but be ready to understand that you're not as strong with the thinking as you like to think you are. Right? Th- those kinds of things make a really big difference. Well, how does this relate to your laptop? Well, I think. When I say putting taking things out of your thinking and putting them into time and space, that could be something as simple as, as an alarm. But another article we don't have time to go into today, there's a great article, I think, on the New York Times about mise en place and this whole whole idea. Yeah, somebody
0: mentioned that to us, didn't I they? I
1: love that article. That's also my favorite quick fire challenge on Top Chef. I love it, I love it. But it's just this idea that as a chef, you're trained to become kind of tightly wound about the cleanliness of, like if anybody's seen Ratatouille, you know what we're talking about Mm. here. There's a certain structure to the kitchen. There's a certain way you you bring out exactly the ingredients that you're going to need. You set up your workstation exactly the way it needs to be so you could be blindfolded and still find everything that you need. Probably not a good idea. It's all there. You know how to do all of this stuff and you've removed anything that doesn't need to be there. So anything you could need will be there. You've done it enough that you know what needs to be there. That kind of preparation can have a huge impact on how you work so I mean with the laptop part the part of the problem is if you're going like oh god I should have done this two days ago and you're sitting there in the dark watching Netflix and you open your laptop well if you don't have a plan in mind for what it is you're going to do like to do kind of like one task I think you're opening up a lot of trouble on a lot of levels for for lots of Dan and Merlin issues For one Mm. thing you're sitting there around bedtime looking at two blue screens which is not great for your sleeping it's going to have a knock on effect later on right um, but being prepared for what it is you need to do in that amount of time, and then to have the presence of mind to say, hey, you know what, actually, I don't, I don't want to be doing this before bed. Instead, I'm going to turn off all of these lights, I'm going to go to bed early, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get up early tomorrow. That's going to be the change in behavior, is instead of thinking I need to roll out the dough of my life thinner and thinner every day, why don't I start on that tomorrow? and had to be something i can look forward to getting done in the morning if you can sleep but i don't know i guess i just feel like anything you can do to take a good intention and put it in place to where it makes it difficult for you to backslide into thinking and the thinking that leads to bad feelings and behavior i think that's a good step and it's and you know and part of the problem with the answer to what you're describing though is there's no way you're going to get it all right there's definitely no way you're ever going to get it all right at once There's no way you're going to get it all right at once to the degree that everybody in your life wish you would get it right. But that's not a reason to stop trying. That you're not going to do that much stuff better until you feel a little better, and you'll feel better when you think better, and you'll think better and feel better when you behave better. So, you know, this is so generic. I don't know if it'll be useful, but taking anything that's anything that's going to take you out of this loop of thinking and get you back into the world of scientific hypothesis for trying to improve your life with changes in behavior is a good change I think thinking it's all the thinking Dave. it's all the thinking
0: so I knew you'd have I knew I knew you are prepared no, I didn't I didn't really I didn't really have anything for that
1: that was uh, oof yeah thinking Do you know I'm thinking about it hmm that's nice to be back you wanna button this up yeah sure let's button it up alright I love you love you too Marla man